Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that that would be the echo of our hearts today. God, as we learn how to praise our way out of hardship and through hardship. Lord, we pray that you would meet us in our praise today. Amen. You may be seated. We light the candle of peace, just as Israelites long for the coming of the Messiah, who would put all things right. We as Christians long for the return of Christ our King, one who will come again in glory. Although Christ's return is a day of promise, it is also a day of judgment. As we eagerly anticipate the second coming, we pause to consider our readiness for Christ's coming and our need to repent. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity. You covered all their sin. Selah. Psalm 85. We have peace with God only through Jesus. Let me hear what God the Lord will say. He will speak peace to his, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Psalm 85, 8. Philippians 4, 4 through 9 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. What you have learned and received and heard and seen, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. We thank you, God, that we have peace with you. Thank you, God, that it doesn't rest on us, and thank you, God, that it can penetrate our hearts and give us a kind of settlement, God, even today when things are not always going that we would like them. We pray that we would walk knowing that you. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. All right, well, hey, brothers and sisters, I am so glad that you're here. My name is Shane Rosty, and I'm the pastor here. So if you're new, I want to welcome you. Thanks for being here. We have been going through a, a series we just started on Christmas Anybody remember what our encouragement was from last week about how to deal with this Christmas season? Anybody remember? Be quiet. Be quiet. We saw from the life of Zechariah that God quieted his mouth so that he could walk in experience and in worship of God. And so today, brothers and sisters, we're going to look at a gal named Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. And I want us to look at one of the most incredible passages of Scripture, one of the most incredible praise songs ever written, and it was written by Mary when she had just got done visiting Elizabeth in Zechariah, and she just got done finding out, the angel had already come to her and said that she was going to bear this, this son into the world, and he would be called Emmanuel. And she responds with one, I think, of one of the most fantastic and amazing praise songs ever that we could learn from. And it's called Mary's Magnificant. So can you say that with me? Mary's Magnificent. Mary's Magnificent. Okay, so let's go ahead and read it together, and then we'll jump into what this passage has for us. Luke 1:46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done a great thing for me, and he and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with, with her about three months and returned to her home. Returned to her home. Anybody ever remember magnifying glasses? You ever use uh, play with a magnifying glass? Any any boys out there like burn the ant hills with magnifying glasses when you discovered that you could you could uh, be powerful with the sun? Magnifying glasses are a very interesting thing. I'll never forget my some of my early memories of a magnifying glass. We're going to my grandma's house, and she would uh, have puzzles, and she would always be working on these puzzles. And she would use, because her eyesight wasn't very good, she'd use a big magnifying glass, and that thing was like this big. And you'd use that thing, and you could see every detail in the puzzle that I didn't know was there. And you just, it, it was this kind of this miraculous little device as a kid. I remember looking and it was like, man, it was like you got, when you grabbed that magnifying glass and you looked at the carpet or you looked at the, the world of bugs and you looked at anything, you could discover that there was this whole new detail that you had missed because you couldn't see it. Isn't that amazing? Well, I want to propose to you that Mary's Magnificent is, is a means to show us that when we magnify or when we praise God, that it brings light to details that maybe we missed, that maybe we missed in the first place. See, I think a lot of us know that in Christmas season, everything always goes perfect. Everything is always joyful. No, that's just not the case, is it? Sometimes holidays are, are a hard time for us, aren't they? They're a time to reminisce and to think uh, uh, to mourn sometimes for some people, those who we have lost. And I want to put us in, the, in, the, in kind of the, the same perspective that Mary was coming out of. She went to see Elizabeth, but as you can imagine, Mary had just been told that she was going to be pregnant outside of wedlock, and there were some things that were going to be coming her way that it was going to be a cost, but it was going to be for the glory of the Lord. But at the time, you can imagine, it felt maybe a little uncertain about what her future was going to look like with this idea that she was going to be bearing Emmanuel into this world. I think many of us, when we look at this Christmas season, we kind of, we look at a hard season or a hardship before us, uh, a tough circumstance. Maybe we can learn from the life of Mary that the way to respond to the uncertainty of tomorrow is to praise our way into it and through it. To praise our way into it and through it. And let's see, uh, as you think about Mary, there would have definitely been fear of the unknown, yes? Anybody afraid of the unknown? Some of you are much braver. I see like people like, no, the unknown doesn't really bug me, right? But there's kind of the sense, I don't know what I'm walking into. There's a fear of the unknown. Well, I'm sure she would have been fearful of like, what is this going to look like for me? How is Joseph going to respond? Are people going to hate me because this happened before we were officially, officially married? You can imagine some of the social pressures that she would have faced. And in fact, the interesting thing is, if you look long term... She was going to be called blessed, yes, of all women, but think about the cost that that happened, because at one point, this baby boy whom she loved and brought into the world, she would look up at one day and see him dying a brutal death on the cross. And so this thing that was spoken to her, your favorite and your blessing, would also come with loss and pain. 
There were times in Jesus' ministry when he would be more about the kingdom than a family. If you remember, there was a passage where uh, he says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? And he says, those who will do the will of my God. I, I always kind of look back at that passage and I think, Jesus, that was kind of an undercut to Mary. Like, ouch. How many of you moms would be, respond to your son saying, you know, you're not really just my family. Everybody else is also my family. You don't quite qualify as much as everybody else. And so we would, we would see, man, some of these hardships that would come out of this promise, out of this blessing. She would have to sit in outward shame while bearing the uncomfort of pregnancy. Now, women know what I'm talking about, the uncomfort of pregnancy. If you're not a husband, you don't get the firsthand, like, kind of picture of the uncomfort of pregnancy. But ladies, pregnancy is always really easy and super comfortable. No problem with it at all, yes? That's just not the case, right? It's uncomfortable. It's painful. Your feet swell. I don't know this. This is all secondhand information for me, right? And and there's this sense of uncomfort. You're, you can never get comfortable. And she would have had to sit in that uncomfort and that shame because there was probably a sense where people would look at her and be like, oh, you heard what's going on with Mary. She's pregnant before her and Joseph got to seal the deal. And so there was this sense of unexpected pregnancy. I think about many of the teens today. By the way, do you guys know, and there's been many different ideas, but there's a range that we've come to. How old was Mary probably? In the, in the range of 12, 12 to 16. And she's like, you can imagine how many of you were just got to rein in on your emotions at 12 and 16, right? No. I'm still working on getting that those motions under under control here, but she was at 12 to 16. She's wrestling with these realities and this truth that God has spoken over her. I think about many teenage pregnancies today. They're in our world are encouraged immediately to do what? To seek out abortion, right? So that's still the societal pressure that we see today. In Mary's situation, she would have probably been uh, encouraged to seek out abortion. The statistics. Uh, are that, that even this is happening inside the church, that there are women within the church that feel the same kind of societal pressure and the same worry about not being good enough and, and uh, afraid that people are going to find out that they were unexpectedly pregnant. And so they go and they seek out abortions. These are, these are girls in the church. And I want to, uh, just as we think about and put ourselves in the mindset of Mary, I want to put out there, if you are unexpectedly pregnant, the church is, wants to get behind you. We love you. Don't run to a solution when we can. We want to come beside you and help you walk out this pregnancy. So that being said, we believe that God can take hardship and create eternal glory and treasure from it. And so with that, we want to look at, um, we're going to blaze through 10 different things, that 10 different facts, 10 different helps for how to praise through our circumstances, how to praise our way through our circumstances. Some of you need this. Number one, we see, starting in verse one, she talks about magnifying. My soul magnifies, my spirit magnifies the Lord. I think my, my mind instantly goes to uh, a magnifying glass, of course, that, that it kind of brings out or it makes bigger. How many of you have the touch screens, like on your iPads or that kind of thing? What's the, what's the ultimate uh, way to zoom in. Oh, RSI, everybody already knew it, right? The pinch to zoom. All the old people are like, are they giving gang signals or what? No, like when you have a picture, you pinch to zoom and it blows it up and it makes it look bigger. 
Well, the interesting thing about magnifying the Lord is no matter how much you magnify the Lord, no matter how much you get into the details and the thick of who he is, there's always more details to discover. Whereas if you've done that with your pictures on your computers, you'll find that it gets really pixelated, doesn't it? Isn't that amazing? This idea of magnifying the Lord, she comes and she says, I must decrease and he must increase. Does that sound familiar to you? Who said that? John the Baptist said that, right? That I must decrease as he increases. And so there's this sense that when we come into hard seasons, there's this sense that in that season, we have to decrease as he increases. We want to magnify and look at the details of our God. So for us, that means every day, what you do gradually becomes less about you and more about him. Have you guys ever stopped and kind of evaluated your motives? You ever ask yourself why you do the things that you do? How many of you just avoid that conversation or that thought process altogether, right? What are your motivations? How am I coming at this thing? Well, there's this, kind of, this idea of praising helps us get out of a self-centered means of, spe- of, of thinking and of motivation, and it helps us get out of that. So when we praise, when we magnify the Lord, instead of looking deeper into ourselves, we look deeper into Christ, and we find these incredible nuggets of his glory and his presence and his goodness. That's what praise does. And so it's like pinch to zoom. Instead of pinching to zoom what's going on in, in your heart, maybe pinch to zoom to see the glory of God. As Mary does here in her circumstances, she doesn't look for the solution in herself. She doesn't try, oh, man, I need to get to know myself better and how strong I'm going to be in this pregnancy. No, instead, she magnifies the Lord in her praise. That gives us the correct perspective. It gives us the correct perspective. When we praise God with our lives, with our mouths, when we sing like we did today, we sang many of the titles of God. Did you catch how many different titles and good things there are? I love that song, You Are Holy. Because we sing about our Prince of Peace, the Alpha, the Omega, the Ancient of Days. He's got all of these amazing titles that if you just sing that song and you're like, oh, that was a good song, you'd miss out on the wealth and the depth of what we just sang about God. We need to magnify, we need to jump in and look at what is it that God tells us about himself in his scriptures, and it gives us the right perspective on our own situations, doesn't it? It magnifies. See, my grandma, she would always use a magnifying glass to find the little details in the puzzle piece so that she could find the right place for it. I think many of us, and I know as a kid, I'd like to take puzzle pieces and jam them in where I wanted them to go. Anybody else do that? Maybe that's just me. (laughs) I broke a lot of puzzles, okay? But there's this sense that God, God wants us to magnify him, to look at him, to praise him so that we can see the details so that we don't force our way forward, but instead we submit to his best for us. Did you hear that? There's this sense that we magnify the Lord. See, Jesus, um, when you magnify the Lord, I think about, you ever wondered how is it that one man, Jesus, even if he was a, a perfectly righteous man, how is it that he could pay for the sins of the world? You ever wonder about that? How, do, how on earth does that level out? You know what that tells us about Jesus? I heard one theologian say that means something that I don't think a lot of us think of. If Jesus had the type of account that could pay for the sins of everyone in history who would believe in him, that means he is worth in righteousness the weight of all of us combined. His worth, his value in all creation far surpasses all of us combined. So why could he pay that price for us? 
because he had the wealth and the value in and of himself more than all of humans, all creatures, all creation, all in one. If you were to put them on two scales, all creation, all the world on one side of the scale, and you put Jesus on the other side of the scale, you know which way the scale would tip? Towards Jesus, because he has that kind of weight and glory and treasure and value in and of himself. That's why he could pay for our sin and turn the wrath of God upside down and say, it is finished. That mag- Did you feel that? See that? Magnify. So then she talks about with everything. She talks about with her spirit, with her soul. The only thing missing in Bible, Bible language there is the body. But I think the, the, the Bible gives us this encouragement with our spirit, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength, with everything. We want to be people who magnify Jesus in this season. And so when Mary's praising her way through these circumstances, she wants to put everything on the line of, she says, God, I am all yours. I'm 100%. My pocketbook is yours. My interest interests are yours. My relationship is yours, God. My everything is yours. What if we were people that magnified the Lord with everything? Like she's saying here, my soul, she's just making the sense that, God, I want to with every part, every fiber in my being, everything I own, everything I am, I want to magnify you. Can you imagine if Christians had that same attitude in the church? This place would go nuts, right? We're not just going to honor you, God, with our lips as we praise songs, but we want to lift your name high with our hands. We want to, if there's something in our hearts, we want to give it and bring it before your throne. I always love the story of the little drummer boy. You guys heard that story? He really didn't have much to give, but what did he bring? Something that would be horrendous for a new mother to have around her infant. Rump-a-pum-pum. But he wanted to bring everything that he had, everything that he was. What is that for you? Do you come magnifying the Lord with everything? Mary understands how do we worship our way through un- unknown circumstances in an unknown future. We lay everything at the feet of Jesus and we say, it is yours, God. I want to elevate you. I want to magnify you. I want to praise you with everything that I have. <laughs> Next, she delights in the Lord. She delights in the Lord. She rejoices. See, she rejoices in the Lord there. How many of you rejoice in a lot of different things? Like if I asked you about your favorite movie series, you would delight yourself in telling us the whole plot line, right? For me, it's Lord of the Rings. Sit down with me sometime. I'll tell you every name, and I'll tell you the plot, right? And we rejoice. We delight in those things. But I think about us, man, when we, well, there's this sense that in our praise, we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. When you come and you sing songs, when you're here at church and you're encountering the presence of God, are you more worried about what you're going to do or how people are looking at you or how you can get your life cleaned up? Are you more worried about delighting yourself in the Lord? I want to encourage you. If you're here and you're praising and you're just, you're thinking, man, I got to get my life together and I got these, stop it for a second. And I want you to just delight yourself in the Lord. It doesn't matter who or what or how much you've fallen short because Jesus didn't delight yourself in that truth. She delighted herself that where she was going to be insufficient to figure her way out of this, he was going to be sufficient. And so she delighted. She delighted. Paul says this over and over in the Bible, doesn't he? What is Paul's encouragement to the church? Rejoice. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice, rejoice. Then that was something Paul encourages all, all around. You know, the word rejoice simply means to delight in. Can you think about something that you take great joy or delight in? 
What's something like that for you? Come on, I know it's Christmas season. Some of you have had some cookies. Can I get an amen on, on delighting yourself in some cookies, some treat? We're about to delight in our meal. I've already heard some of you. You're like, man, I cannot wait for that lunch. When is this pastor going to stop talking? I'm ready to delight myself in lunch. <laughs> I see. Um, but there's a sense that what if we had that same delight in the Lord? She delights in the Lord, and this helps her through her circumstances, reminds her that her delight cannot be taken away from her. Even if you burn those cookies, your delight can still be in the Lord. Have you ever been overcome with joy? I always think about uh, times that I had delight in my in my life, and I don't think there was anything more delightful in my life. When Becky and I were married, um, it was the day of our wedding, and I just remember we had a guy come, and he played some of our favorite worship songs. We weren't going to have a dance, but instead we just sat. And instead of having a dance, we just raised our hands to the Lord, and with tears in our eyes, we God, and we held each other, and we just thanked him for his grace on us. And in, the, in that moment, I just remember delighting in Do you have a moment? Maybe it was up in the mountains. Do you delight in God? Hopefully, we can bring that delight to this gathering together on Sunday mornings. Can you imagine if all of us were here delighting in the Lord? I think we'd be really stoked. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crank up the notch. We're going to move a little faster. She acknowledges that she was favored. You and I need to recognize in, in her praise, she says, I know that I'll be blessed or called blessed for generations. I'm going to be favored here. And the, she acknowledges that favor that God has given on her. And I want you to think about this. How many of you have actually acknowledged the fact that you are favored by God? If I were to say to you, say out loud, I, say your name, am favored by God. How many of you would have a hard time? It's like you trip over. I think some of us would. I can see some little, like, kind of fight in there. And this is this idea. If you have professed faith, if you're here this morning and you're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to know you're favored by God. Because you have been given the gospel. You've been given the good news. You've been told and know if you believed in Jesus Christ and trust him, you are immensely favored by God. He loves you and walks with you. And he is with you and present with you. You have immense favor in God through faith in him. You are favored by God. So she acknowledges her favor. And I want you to see this. She also claims identity. What is her identity? She says, call me blessed. Call me blessed. How many of you, if I was like, who are you? You would say, call me blessed. Call me blessed. But she speaks. That's her identity. That's who she is. Who are you as, as a person? You are a son and a daughter of God. Therefore, you are blessed. Now, Think about blessing, and, and I always, Becky and I coined the term that there's this thing called blessings management. Did you know you can get stressed out by the way God has blessed you? Anybody amen? You know, like, this is a blessing, this is a blessing, this is a blessing, right? As I'm changing that diaper or whatever, you just, this is a blessing, right? We call that blessings management, but it doesn't change the fact that your identity is that you are blessed of God. If you're drawing breath right now, you've been blessed by God. God blesses you, and we need to claim that as an identity, especially if we've professed faith in Jesus. Mary's situation was tough, but she knew where her identity was in. It was not going to sink her into insecurity, but instead she knew she was. She was blessed of God. Can you say that? Can you say that? That no matter what comes my way, I know my identity is that I'm the blessed of God. I'm going to make you say it. Ready? Let's say it together. I am blessed. Here we go. One, two, three. I am blessed. I'm going to make you say it. Say, I am favored. Say it with me. Ready? I am favored. I'm favored by God. I'm blessed by God. Some of you still don't believe. 
She knows healthy fear. She knows healthy fear of the Lord. And she talks about from generation to generation that there's this healthy fear for those who fear God from generation to generation. I always think about what does she mean by healthy fear and why does the Bible tell us that we should fear God? Well, what does that mean? Well, if a grizzly bear walked through that back door and like Myron kind of danced his way up front, how many of you would say, hey kids, why don't you go pet the nice grizzly bear on the nose? (laughs) Never! That would be a bad idea. Thanks, Gideon. That would be a bad idea because there's a healthy fear of this bear because of what it could do. I always love the picture. C.S. Lewis always, his, his character that kind of looked like God was always a lion. He was called Aslan. And the characters at that time, they all feared him and loved him because there was this sense that he was still a lion and he was powerful and worthy of respecting. But at the same time, he was also their protector and their greatest comfort. That's what it means to know healthy fear of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you're here and you make decisions and you don't think about this idea that, that God is worthy of consideration for every decision that you make, you are not walking in healthy fear. I'll say that again. If you do every decision you make in your life, if you're going to make that decision and you think you're going to do it in some kind of vacuum where God is not aware of it or about it, then you are not walking in healthy fear of God. Because remember, your God is the Lion of Judah. She knows healthy fear. She knows healthy fear of God. <clears throat> and she knows one thing about God is she praises and reminds herself of these truths that he scatters the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. Anybody struggle in your thought life? Anybody? Yeah, man, I, I mean, our thoughts sometimes are, can get carried away. We just have these different thoughts come up, pop up in our head. I've always uh, threatened my, my youth. I said, imagine a world where everything you thought was put up on a big screen over your head, and people could think what you were thinking and see what you were thinking in your head. How many of you would be like, ah, I am never leaving my house ever. Don't worry, you're in the same boat as all of us. you're in the same boat as all of us, but there's this idea that he scatters the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. We need to be people who constantly come to God with humility, and she follows up with that. She says she recognizes who exalts the lowly. Who exalts the lowly? Who exalts the lowly? God exalts the lowly. And there's so many times I think we think that we are to exalt ourselves. We are supposed to, um, it looks a lot like, I have the right to, dot, dot, dot. Or I should receive this, dot, dot. And we exalt ourselves and we begin to convince ourselves this is what we are deserving and we try to exalt ourselves. But who's the one who exalts? God is the one who exalts. We ought not walk in self-exaltation. Mary wasn't going to walk around like, hey, what's up? I'm Baron Emmanuel. You don't get it, but I'm way selected and favored by God more than you. She wouldn't have exalted her. Because God is the one who, and we read about her centuries later, not because she was impressive or something special, but because God, the one who exalted. And we need to be careful that God is the one, and we need to wait quietly, be faithful in him, and let him be the one who exalts us or him in us. She recognized who was going to, and he satisfies the hunger. This is not physical food hunger. I know many of you are smelling downstairs, and you're thinking that's making me all the more hungry. But what she doesn't mean here is that she's physically hungry, but what is she saying here about this idea of satisfaction of hunger? She's saying there's a hunger, there's a longing in all of us as human beings. Can you feel it? 
that we would be with God. Something's not right. We have a hunger. When we look around at the world and that it is the way that it is and there's the pain that is there, we know that we have a hunger that needs to be satisfied. And where can that be satisfied? In Jesus. Satisfaction comes in the Lord. And so many of you know, maybe after a whole career, I'll never forget around a campfire with my grandfather and other people around a campfire. I don't know, people talk about this a lot in a campfire and they'll look back on their lives and they'll say, I worked my tail off my whole life, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and everybody told me that if I just graduate high school, if I just graduate college, if I just get a better job, if I just make more money, I'm going to be satisfied. If I just become famous, I'll be satisfied, and it never works out, does it? So Jesus comes to satisfy a deep spiritual hunger that is connected to our being. If you are here and don't think about your imminent need of God you are sent away and starving. How many of you have ever had a conversation with people that are like, I don't need some God. I don't need some, I don't need salvation. When I'm sharing the gospel, they're like, what do I need? I'm a good person. I don't need saved. And I can look at them and I can see on their face when they tell me those things, how deep their hunger goes because they haven't been satisfied by the well that will never run dry. And maybe they've filled themselves up on, we'll say the culture and the world's junk food that promises to satisfy. Things like drugs, Things like alcohol promise to satisfy, but they never do, do they? They're never enough. God is the only one who can satisfy that spiritual hunger, that impulse. If you're here and you're feeling that hunger, press into the one who can satisfy her, and that's can do that through. And she makes mindful of mercy here. She, she finishes with this idea that brings to a mindful mercy, to be mindful of God's mercy. What is mercy, by the way? What is mercy? Unmerited favor? Mercy essentially is when you don't get what you deserve. You don't receive what you deserve. You don't get what you deserve. If somebody is merciful, they're not giving you what you've earned. For us, the wages of sin is what? What have we earned for ourselves? Death, eternal separation from God, but there's this mindfulness of mercy. When we come to to praise God and to look at the truths of salvation, it should grow in the depths of our mind that I didn't receive what God, what I should have from God. I think many of us, have you ever shook your your hand in the sky and said, God's not fair? Anybody said that? Aren't you so glad that God wasn't fair? Aren't you so glad that he didn't pay to you what you deserved? I'm so glad that God wasn't fair. Instead, he was merciful, and he was just in doing so because of the worth and the value. Mary was mindful. So this season, what do you do with this season? Would you take the opportunity to praise the Lord and let that praise bring a new perspective your situation, a higher perspective? What would happen if we made the biggest deal out of the season? to make Jesus magnified, to make him enter, entering the world, make it a big deal? What if we celebrated it as if God himself came into human history, fully man and fully God, that he might triumph over sin, death, and shame? What if we celebrated like that? What would that look like? If you're here and you're in a life group, and I do encourage you to get involved in our life group, I want you to ask this question, how can I magnify Jesus, and how does praise change my how does change, or sorry, how does praise change? I'm going to have the elders come up, and I want you to just maybe bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to respond to this message and to think on what it means to praise this Christmas in a way that your perspective would be changed. Would you just spend a minute talking to the Lord. Ask him what this looks like for you to recognize the truths that Mary recognized. And that out as we... And I will see heaven.
want you to maybe close your eyes and think of the titles. Lord of Lords, you are King of Kings, you are mighty God, the Lord of everything, you're Emmanuel, you're the great I am, you're the Prince of Peace, who is the saving grace you will reign forever you are ancient of days you are alpha omega beginning and end you are savior messiah redeemer and friend you're my prince of peace and i will live my life God, I pray for the offering over our lives, God, that we would give our lives as offering as Mary did. God, would you praise in light of our service, no matter how good or rough they are. Now, would you bless the f- as we go and magnify you in our fellowship together, as we dine together. May it be known that we are dining together because of our love and our reverence.